Is this a good time? Is this a bad time? Prime time? Bible time? People are asking, is this the end time? Jesus says, no, it's the meantime. <laughs> well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 126. I'm Brian Cheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in. We are in week 40 of our cross-training series here on the episode, closing out a conversation about fruitfulness. Today on the episode, we are talking about stewardship, taking responsibility for the things that we have, doing something with what God has blessed us with, and God sure has blessed us. I'm, I can definitely say that for myself. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we have so much more than is really reasonable for us to have if you think about it. Oh, yeah. It's like the other day we were at the YMCA and they have one of these tiny libraries in front, you know, the cabinet that you oh, yeah. open up, uh huh, kind of like a big mailbox. And so the kids were with me and they got all excited. Let's see what's inside. And Nadia, my four-year-old, wanted to take a book and give it to her next door neighbor that she looks up to. And so she grabbed this book about the fruit of the spirit, though she had no idea what it was about. She liked the picture on the front and said she wanted to give it to her friend Lucy. And it just made me think about this cabinet of free resources that we basically live in. I mean, if life is a cabinet of all these resources where you take what you want and you can take them all. You can take all the books and every time anybody puts anything in there, you just take them and you just hoard them or you just sell them or use them for your own purposes. Or you can look and see, is there anything I need? Is there anything I can use to bless others with? Is there anything that is is going to make a difference in my life? And now when I take it, I have a purpose for it that aligns with my reason for being in the world. And that's, I think, kind of the heart of the value that we call stewardship, not just getting stuff or having stuff, but asking if everything I have is given to me as a steward, what am I going to do with it that will bring real enrichment and blessing into the world? Will the owner of all things be happy he gave it to me? So I think that's stewardship, right? It's, it's oh, yeah. the tiny library of life. What are you going to take <laughs> and what are you going to use it for? Take a penny, leave a penny. Yeah. That kind of thing as well. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our first segment here on the episode. And that is like the teacher. As always, we're going to a story where Jesus teaches us about stewardship. And it's hard not to go to the parables because a lot of the parables that Jesus references are about a master who has stewards and people who are responsible for taking care of things while he's away. And here we see in Luke 19, verses 11 through 27, a very familiar story about 10 stewards who all were given a mina apiece. And I don't know what a mina is. I'm guessing it was a unit of money. Yeah, boy, there's so many dad jokes jumping to my <laughs> mind. You know, a talent is a lot, but this isn't a major amount of money. It's a mina. It's a mina, for <laughs> sure. And so he said basically to them, engage in business until I come. So. Of these 10 stewards that the master had, each one of them were responsible for going out and doing things with that money. And when the master returns, he finds out that one of them has multiplied this thing by 10 and he turned one mina into 10 minas, which is a pretty great return. And yeah. then he turns to another one and he finds out that he multiplied it by five. And the reward for each of these were a number of cities that he was going to give to them. I'll give you one city per mina that you return to me. And then he finds this one steward who didn't do anything with it. Again, not that he buried it in the ground like another parable talks about. He put it in a handkerchief because he was afraid of the master 
and what the master would do when he returned. And so the master punished him for doing nothing with it. He said, you could have put it in the bank. You could have collected interest on it, but you didn't do anything. And so he took the mina away from him, gave it to the other person who had 10 minas, and then he was punished for it. So as we see this story of the master and his stewards and their either responsibility or lack of responsibility for what they'd been given, what do you learn from this for yourself? I think the key to the parable is at the beginning of it. And I was just thinking about how much our lives are full of these time fillers and time killers. You know, (laughs) if you have to wait on anything, a line at checkout or an oil change or whatever, no worry. You surely have something to do on your phone, work related or reading something or playing a game or whatever. You have something to do. It's multitasking. Yeah, you're multitasking. It's like, in the meantime, I'm going to do this. And whether you're waiting for the movie showtime or the football game time, you have something to fill the meantime. And Jesus is really bringing us to a big picture about what time are we in? Is this a good time? Is this a bad time? Prime time? Bible time? People are asking, is this the end time? Jesus says, no, it's the meantime. (laughs) It's the meantime. Feel like I'm in a Seinfeld bit. Yeah, no doubt. (laughs) You know, the reason for the parable, he says at the beginning of this whole thing, he was near to Jerusalem and he said this because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So people are thinking because he's on the road and he's almost to Jerusalem, once he gets there, the consummation of all the kingdom and all that it's about is going to be fulfilled. And they don't understand that there's going to be a lot of things happening. And then there's going to be this long period of time before the final consummation of the kingdom. Yes, you know, we are in the kingdom already in the church and the Lord. We've been transferred into his kingdom, as Colossians 1 talks about. But there is a lot more that they're seeing and looking forward to and that we're looking forward to. And Jesus wants his disciples to be prepared for that long haul that's coming when everything they know falls into this chaos and he's killed and they're waiting and they don't know what's going to happen. They don't have their master. And so Jesus gives this insight that even though you're looking forward to this forever joy in the new age, we need to get that all of our life here will happen in the meantime. So we have to learn to live in the meantime with a particular kind of meantime perspective, which is the heart of almost all of the stewardship parables, that the master's away. And what are the servants going to do? Do the servants play? Do they watch and pray? I'm rhyming here. Do they faithfully live each and every day? (laughs) Unfortunate rhymes. But, you know, what are we going to do while the master's away? Who are we going to be Are we just tapping our toes? Are we just, you know, pulling out our phones and playing a game? Because really, this is what we have. This is our life. Our life is a meantime situation. And we have to give this meantime our full attention, knowing, as we do, that we have hope and an investment into a future time that will make this meantime even more meaningful and purposeful, because this isn't all there is. But this is all we have now. This is where the kingdom happens now is in this period where we're growing it and waiting for that final day. I think what you're saying ties in really well with passages like 2 Peter 3 verse 11, when Peter says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? I mean, right there, it's just about 
waiting. You're in this meantime period. You're waiting for the Lord to come again. And while you wait, knowing that he's going to come again in judgment, what kind of people are you supposed to be? That is, I guess, the big question here in this parable. Like, what are we going to do? And what I got from this story is how God is making a risky investment. I'm the kind of person that only recently has been interested, moderately interested in like the stock market and what companies are up and what companies are down. And I've only just been interested in it recently. But thinking about like some things are just risky and you see them up like real high one day and then all of a sudden the next day they're in the tank and then they go back up and they're up and down and they're all over the place. And what I see in this story here is that God looks at every one of us and he knows what kind of people we are going to be. He knows what kind of investment we are, whether or not we're going to be a losing investment or whether or not we're going to be a profitable investment. The master here in this parable obviously didn't know, but God does know. God knows who we are. He knows what kind of outcome his investment in us is going to return. And I just wonder, why does he give me so much when maybe I'm not going to return as much for him? Wouldn't it make sense that he would only give those people blessings and opportunities who are going to be that kind of like tenfold mina return? The master gives everybody equally. Not that God gives everybody equally today, but like in this story, the master distributes the minas to everyone equally and everyone has the same opportunity to do something with it. It just makes me ask the question, like, am I going to return to him something profitable, something that exudes my care in the investment that he's made me? Or am I just going to kind of be a constant drain on the Lord? And is he going to be happy with the return that I give him? Am I going to be in the green or am I going to be in the red when the Lord comes again? Yeah, I like, I like the word you use, although it's it's not a pleasant idea of a drain. Mm-hmm. Am I a drain on God, you asked? And that is really a challenging and important question for us to consider, not once, but continually is, what am I doing with what I have been given. You know, it's like the end of Saving Private Ryan when he's told, earn this. You know, you've been given this gift. Oh, yeah. Now go and do something with it. I mean, you're not earning it. You've already been given the gift. You already have it. It's not about you're going to get it because now you deserve it. But it's like now that we have it, we want to walk worthy of it, as the the Bible says, walk worthy of this gift you have. Or, you know, it makes me think of when you talk about being a drain, it makes me think of being a trust fund baby, you know, am I just somebody that isn't contributing anything? Not that every trust fund baby is not contributing anything, but, you know, you have this image, right? This stereotype in your mind of this person who is given everything and contributes nothing. Right. And we have been given so much. And are we using that to just sit around the pool on a floaty and drink, you know, (laughs) uh, nice beverages and enjoy the sun? Or are we taking what we have and using it to grow God's kingdom? So let's get into our second segment here on the episode. And that is a newer segment that we've just started up here. And that is the A-Team. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire the A-Team. So we're drafting here on this episode our top picks for stewardship stories. These could be parables. These could be any story in the Bible that talk about stewardship. And I guess here we should start out the segment like we always do. And that's to flip a coin. Ryan, call heads or tails. I got to go tails. Alexa, flip a coin. 
Tails. Oh, man. All so right. you got tails. I think you're 100% here on your uh, coin flipping ability. Yeah, so. yeah. Me and Alexa, I, I've hacked into your Alexa system. So all right. it was all worth it. Bring just it to on. Get this. So what's your yeah. first pick? Okay. All right. So for number one, I am going to go with the vine dresser and the barren fig tree. Oh, nice. Which does not specifically mention a steward. Although the vine dresser is basically the steward of the land, but uh, it's the story about a tree that is kind of like the people we just talked about who are a drain. This tree is taking resources but not producing anything. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the landowner says, chop it down. The vine dresser asks for more time, says, let me put some manure down around it. Let me give it more resources and we'll see. And eventually, if it doesn't produce then it's not worthy of all we're pouring into it and we'll get rid of it. So vine dresser and barren fig tree, number one draft pick. I like it. That's a good one. The vine dresser there, he was really looking out for that tree. He was wanting to invest in it. It's so amazing how how many opportunities that we're constantly given to bear fruit and to be fruitful like we've been talking about over the last few episodes. All right, so let me get into my first pick here. And that is Adam and Eve. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That was back. on my list too. <laughs> Genesis one twenty eight. You got to put Adam and Eve in there. And so in the story of the first two people ever told to be fruitful and multiply, but not only were they told to be fruitful and multiply, but they were given the responsibility of the garden. Adam was responsible for naming all the animals. They were responsible for taking care of and tending to the garden itself. And even in the perfection of God's creation before sin, before Adam and Eve just messed it all up. They were still stewards. Stewardship was a part of God's perfect design, the design that he called very good in the beginning. Yeah, that's a that's excellent. It really should have been the number one draft pick just because it's the number one stewardship that happened right at the beginning. Exactly. But uh, <laughs> I love it. All right, I am going to... I'm going to go with Joseph and his story with Potiphar. And then he actually, his own steward is mentioned later. Mm -hmm. But so Joseph is the steward of Potiphar that is faithful. He says, my master has entrusted me with everything that he has Except for you. Exactly. Potiphar's wife. Uh Uh-huh. And now, you know, I I have to be faithful to that. And he tried to be faithful to that. He was faithful to it. And then eventually he was given his own steward who handled the the brother situation quite faithfully also. Yeah. He was going to be my next pick. Obviously, if you could tell by the speed at which I pasted him into the document we share, uh, (laughs) I had already copied him because I was going to pick him next. So thanks very much for that. Yeah, Joseph's stewardship is great there. I mean, obviously, he's given the responsibility over Potiphar's house. But then when he gets into Egypt and he really begins taking over with Pharaoh, he's basically given every responsibility under the sun with the exception of the very small things that Pharaoh wants to deal with. He's like number two, which is pretty great. He's number two everywhere he goes. He's like the ultimate uh, steward and ultimate as Captain Picard would say, number one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's engage into my second pick here. And that is elders and deacons. A little bit Ooh. of a strange one. Pulling from it's not a story. No, it's not a story. But <laughs> That's a great example, though. Pulling from 1 Timothy 3, verse 4, and 1 Timothy 3, verse 12, also Titus 1, verse 7, we see here that the qualifications for elders and deacons are that they are to be good stewards 
of their homes. They're to be good managers. And if you think that the job of an elder or a deacon is not about managing people or dealing with people in some way, I mean, you're missing out on on what elders and deacons are all about. That is their job. If you go all the way back probably to the first example maybe of deacons, how they were serving the widows and doing all the things caring for them, like that's just part of the job. Stewardship, service, getting on your knees and washing people's feet, that is what this is all about. And so seeing that as a requirement of elders and deacons, I think helps us see what a good steward is is all about. Yeah, I mean, that's quite a point of emphasis that Paul brings about the overseers particularly and their role and what a sacred trust. I mean, mm-hmm. all of these people are being entrusted to you to tend to, to care for. I wrote in the article this week about being entrusted with a business, how much more being entrusted with this organization, these yeah. local churches full of people that are counting on you to help them get into eternity. For That's sure. Excellent. Excellent one. Okay. My last draft pick for my A-team, I had a list of parables, but I can't let the parable of the talents go undrafted <laughs> uh, because it's such an important story about the master going away. And the master trusting others with his possessions to grow them. So that's Matthew 25, 14 to 30. So it's such an important picture of what stewardship is all about. We've been given different things. You, you brought up in the minus, we're given all given the same thing. And it's in many ways, we all have the same opportunities. What are we going to do as God's servants with it? But in, in other ways, you could say we have different resources what are we going to do with the resources we have? And the point is to to bring about something. And, and you know, I don't want to be reductionist in all of these parables. And there's a lot in there. And <laughs> it's not even that Jesus is directly the master in all of them, but he's telling this story that helps us to see we have a responsibility, just like earthly stewards have a responsibility to their master. So what's the final pick? <laughs> All right, so I've got my final pick here ready to go, and that is the parable of the dishonest manager. So this is not the greatest story, necessarily, as it starts out, at least, in this parable. The rich man has this manager, but the manager is being accused of wasting his possessions. And so in the second verse there in Luke 16, he says, he called him to himself and said, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be a manager. Basically, the master is firing this dishonest manager. After he gets fired, he goes around and starts shrewdly, I guess, gaining the favor of his master once again by going out to all these clients and uh, cutting their bills in half, which is pretty interesting. So basically here we see somebody who wasn't doing a very good job, and it looks like the master was pretty happy with him in the end because he did something that no one else really would have done, I guess, except for this guy. Yeah, he's he's shrewdly handling his money to create opportunities. Yeah. And if if uh, somebody would do that to take care of themselves in an earthly way, how much more should we shrewdly and wisely and carefully, smartly handle our finances, our resources in a way that brings about, as as Jesus says, eternal dwellings? Yeah that prepares good things for us for that forever time. So those are the picks. I mean, I don't know who's going to win here. You've got the vine dresser and the bear and fig tree. 
Joseph in the parable of the talents. And I don't know how you can beat Adam and Eve and elders and deacons <laughs> and this shrewd, dishonest manager. I mean, I, I don't know who's going to win here, but I think we got some good teams. Yeah, yeah, it is a really good team. Your dishonest manager parable, that would have been my next pick. Oh, and good. I was going between that and the talents. I think it's not so as much of a classic story that we talk about all the time because it's kind of complicated, like yeah. you were addressing, to get into but that makes it all the more memorable and thought-provoking, I think. Right. Which is what Jesus is great at. So I love that. There were some other parables in Luke that I was thinking about, like the unworthy servants in Luke mm -hmm. 17, which kind of sets the stage for even after we handle everything perfectly, it's not like we've earned this great honor. We've done what we should. And the the rich man and Lazarus and the the servants that are ready for the, the master mm -hmm. and the rich fool is a great one in Luke 12. Oh, yes. What, what else were you, what was on your list, your honorable mentions? Yeah. So I was thinking about Nehemiah as part of mine. Oh, yeah. The Lord laid on him the job that needed to be done and all he could do was do the job that God wanted him to do. Nehemiah 2 verse 12 is really a great example of somebody who has a mission in mind and just goes and gets it done. And then someone that we've been studying here at Monta Vista recently was Noah. So Noah was another mm. one of mine. He is given the responsibility by God of saving the entire human race. Like, come on, that's a pretty big responsibility. And Noah's able just to knock it out of the park, obviously doing everything that God wanted him to do. A great steward example in the Bible, I think. That is good. That just makes you think about how each faithful person had something that they were tending to. You know, Hebrews 3 talks about how Moses was a faithful servant in God's house. You think of David over the house of Israel. Those, those are great. That's such a fun exercise. <laughs> just dra <laughs> Drafting, just, just having a little bit of uh, competition in it too. Yeah, you don't want the, the other person to snatch up your favorite. It's always fun. Yeah, I'm just glad I got Adam and Eve. So there we go. All right, so let's get into our third and final segment here on the episode. And that is through the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So every week we drop five challenges that we're going to do, and we encourage you to do them along with us. This week we are focused all on stewardship, and so we're going to start out the week with a reading challenge, and that's to read Luke 19, verses 11 to 27, which we talked about earlier, Genesis 1, 26 to 31, Matthew 24, verses 44 through 51, 1 Peter 4, verses 9 to 11, and Luke 16, verses 1 to 13. And we've already kind of touched on a lot of these examples, so I want to go to 1 Peter 4, verse 10 here, to talk about how this kind of idea that you introduced the episode with is what I see here in this verse. Take one and pass it down is kind of what I walked away from this verse. And so Peter says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. As God has blessed you with something, as God has put a library book into your tiny library in front of the YMCA, you have the opportunity to take that and pass it along. I think our goals, as we see in the verses surrounding this, is to show love and hospitality without complaining, to speak to and serve other people with accuracy and with strength. And so we've all been recipients of those kinds of blessings as well. We are not only responsible for doing those things, showing love, speaking with integrity, but we've been recipients of that too. And so all the work we have to do, whatever it is that we can do today for the Lord, is something that we can do right now to pass it along and bless someone else in their life 
with what God has blessed us with. I love that. Take one and pass it down. It, you know, like you're passing down a worksheet or a, <laughs> here's, every kid gets a milk. You just take one and put, pass the bucket down. You can take all of them. But it makes me think of Paul uses the metaphor of manna. Oh, yeah. Whenever he's talking in Second Corinthians about those who have a lot in Corinth giving to those who are lacking at the time in the church in Judea and just what we have when we have we've talked about a lot when you have extra. Why do you have extra to use it for the Lord's good? And the reflect challenge this week asks, do I consider myself the owner or the servant manager of quote, unquote, my possessions. <laughs> and, I'm glad you put that in quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm a big fan of this trend towards collaborative consumption. I mean, it's been going on for 15 years in, in a big way. But why buy a vacation home when you can rent one? Why buy a boat when you can just use one when you need it? And the same goes for so many areas of life, depending on what you need. But one of the things I see is this is even more true in the church. There have been so many times when we needed something or we had something, when we needed an extra car and we didn't have one. Someone shared theirs with us. Times when we had an extra car and didn't need it, but someone else did. And it was our privilege to share with them. We have friends who have pools, trucks, specific tools that I may need just once in my whole life. <laughs> you know, that kind of sharing comes from an attitude that says what I have is not about me. It is in service of something greater. It's the kind of attitude you see, of course, in the early church in Acts 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. Oh, yeah. This, this sharing of what we have. And I have these things not because I'm building a monument to myself full of my possessions or I'm just going to trust fun baby laying in the pool on a floater. But these are gifts I enjoy and try to use as I have opportunity to bless others and bear fruit for the Lord. That's the attitude of, of the steward. and. You know, a few years ago, we started talking about our family, just one of the vision statements we had for our family, talking about us as a possessionless family with resources only. So we put possessionless family, resources only in a big letters on this giant piece of paper that we were looking at a lot. And what that did, what that gave us was this clarity and direction because everything that we have came with this sense of purpose now. Why do we have a TV? Why do we have a living room or a car or a college degree or a Bible? Why do we have the role and influence that we have? Why do we have more food and money than we need to stay alive? And we just were able to see the value of it more clearly when we saw that it had a purpose and the goal isn't pleasure or hoarding or status or collecting. The goal is to use it for God's glory. And that includes enjoying it. I mean, you see that right in the garden in those first stewards, your number one draft pick, Adam and Eve were there to enjoy <laughs> the garden, but right. also to tend to it and to take care of it. And so, yeah, I, I think that that helps me resources only and thinking of ourselves as possessionless. What do you think of that term, possessionless and resources only? I think that's super helpful, honestly. If you really want to be like Jesus, that's exactly how he was, right? I mean, he had no place to lay his head, it, you know, and Jesus was not the kind of person who just flaunted his large possessions around everywhere he went. He had very little. He used what he had and he treated it like a resource. And I guess that's really the question is like, we are really good at nesting. <laughs> We're really good at just collecting and maybe hoarding 
but we need to be real careful about what we have and why we have those things. And I think that question of Mm -hmm. being possessionless or being a resources only family is just really asking the question like, why do I have this and what can I do with it? Yeah, I like what you said. And, and, you know, like to, to your point about Jesus, that probably simplifies our life and makes it easier to be faithful. The more we are, we have a stone for a pillow or, or whatever, as Jacob did. But it, it's not the requirement for all of us. But, you know, the goal is for whether it's Philemon or, you know, any rich guy in the early church or Abraham or whoever, I think they would see this importance of being possessionless as well, not getting rid of everything necessarily, but saying, what I have is yours. How do you want me to use it? And that's the point. And I guess that kind of ties into our request challenge here. When we have this prayer, Lord, give me wisdom for the care of all you entrust to me. And that's based on Matthew 24, verse 45. I think this question that Jesus brings up in this verse, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give their food in the proper time, who is the faithful and wise servant? I want to be the faithful and wise servant. I want, I want to be able to raise my hand and say, that's me. I'm the one who is wise. I'm the one who's skillful as a steward. And as I was thinking about stewardship, kind of rolling around this thought in my mind, I kept thinking of like babysitting. Did you ever babysit <laughs> growing up? I mean, obviously you had like sisters and stuff, but did you yeah. go babysitting yeah, I- to anyone? No, not not really as a job, but I watched my like my niece sometimes, oh, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah I, I was thinking about that. Like, these are not your kids. This is not your house. This is not your responsibility with the exception of the fact that the parents are gone and this is your job. Like you are 100 mm-hmm. percent responsible for these kids and this house, maybe a couple of dogs and cats while you're there, too. Like this is your job. And as adventures in babysitting taught us, like sometimes that job <laughs> is not an easy job. And do I have the skills? Do I have the ability to manage children well? Do I have the skills and the ability, as this prayer talks about, to manage and help other people? All of those people who have been entrusted to me, who the Lord has given to me as somebody that I can serve and be a blessing for, am I skillful in the way that I do that? And so, Really, it's just about listening to Jesus. If I want wisdom, if I want to be like the the wise man, then I need to listen to the words of Jesus. I need to, as he talks about there in the wise man in the rock, Matthew 7, verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I need to be praying to the Lord for wisdom. I need to be listening to Jesus for wisdom and doing the things that he's told me to do. And that'll help me be a better servant, I think, more skillful in the way that I can care for other people and protect other people. You know, I have never thought about that last part of that question until you highlighted it here, that as stewards over the master's house, our job is to give them their food at the proper time. Yeah, right. That's that's really cool. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it goes with your, your elders and overseers picture, but aren't we all given this responsibility of tending to the Lord's house? tending to those around us to make sure that we all have the food that we need. And particularly, I'm thinking of spiritual food, though we could extend that to physical food as well. But like, you know, are we are we feeding one another? Mm-hmm. And I guess that leads into the respond challenge and action step that we're encouraging all of us to take, which is to devote a few extra dollars and a few extra minutes 
growing kingdom fruit in someone today. (laughs) And I imagine most people listening to this are devoting a lot of time and money specifically to kingdom purposes. Sure. And in a way, all that we do, as we've been talking about, even the food we buy for ourselves or our rest time are hopefully in service of the kingdom and the king as we're ultimately just trying to take care of all of God's resources so that we can we can maximize them. But there's something fun, I think, and enlightening about designating this small amount of time and money, just saying, okay, I'm going to set a little bit aside and do something different and notice what it can do. My wife teaches this ladies class and she had all of them bring a dollar and they did a micro loan with Kiva to someone that, you know, a little bit of money goes a long way for this person that they loaned to. And just as a way of just illustrating, I think, I mean, it was a way of doing doing some good, but also it just shows what a dollar from whatever, 18 people <laughs> can do, you know, and the folks here have a, a great practice. People in the church often just drop by each other's houses with a latte or Ooh. a flower. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe some tomatoes they grew or baked goods or just something small. And more than the gift, it's that time you spend in the doorway or sitting down at the kitchen table afterwards for a few minutes, just connecting with a person who just conveyed something to you, who just said in this small gift, they care about you. And that that lets you have this opening to bless someone and maybe listen and maybe share something that can bring fruit in someone's life. So think about how you can do that today. Yeah, I think that's just taking Jesus cup of cold water example Mm -hmm. to another level, right? Maybe it just is a little bit overblown, but sometimes I think like if I can't do something amazing, then it's not worth doing at all. And these little examples that you're using like a dollar for somebody or, you know, just dropping by and and throwing tomatoes at their house. I mean, giving them tomatoes. (laughs) Yeah, we have plenty of people in our congregation, so many good friends of ours who are exactly like that. We've received so much produce over the last few weeks. I can't even tell you. It's like peaches and tomatoes and pears and all kinds of stuff. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. Just these little ways that people can help out and encourage each other. It really is. I think that's something I'm learning in my, <laughs> as I get old here, is uh, <laughs> that fruitfulness is in those, in the simple things, in those sure. small acts. So it kind of leads, I guess, to our last question here, which is a reach out question. And we encourage you to ask somebody, strike up a spiritual conversation this week by asking someone, what does fruitfulness look like to you in real everyday life? And I think we've started talking about it, but what does fruitfulness look like in your everyday life? Yeah, I mean, it's that answer that I just gave. I I think when I embrace the simple acts of devotion that I know, rather than spending my time reaching for something else, I produce fruit. (laughs) I have fruit in my life, in my self growing and changing and the fruit of the spirit growing in me. I'm able to make a difference in other people's lives. You know, just prayer. Prayer is a simple act. It doesn't, it's, it's not like, you know, I have some earth shattering experience of prayer all the time, but I'm talking to God and that changes things. Kindness is a simple act, working, studying, being quiet for a period of time, you know, parenting and husbanding and whatever that is, husbanding. <laughs> you know, like husbanding, being a husband, you know, speaking clearly what the Bible says and letting that do its job, just doing simple things. It's effectiveness over the grandiose, but also effectiveness over efficiency, not just trying to like do more and get a million things done, 
but thinking about what I need to do. Uh, there's a famous manager expert. I don't know if you've ever read anything by Peter Drucker, but he once said, nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. <laughs> so, you know, we've spoken a lot about editing our lives. Uh -huh. I've used the term radical simplification before uh, back in back in the day, which I think I heard somewhere. But even in the grandness of calling it radical, which, which it really is radical, but mm -hmm. it just loses the joy of just living a normal life in God's service, which is what we're talking about. It is radical because nobody, <laughs> so few people seem to do it. And it's so hard to do for me well. But just that idea from the parable of the sowers that we often go back to of constantly fighting back the weeds, not wanting my soil to be choked out by the thorns. So good works over great works, a lifetime of little things rather than a big act of magnificence, just trusting, obeying. You yeah. know, as the song says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. Just trusting and obeying. That's the whole thing. I like it. I guess that's just that continuation of the simple things. And as I was thinking about this answer for what fruitfulness looks like for me, there's multiple answers for me. Obviously, the one I focus on immediately is just the good things. When I think about something being fruitful in my life, I, I look at that good perspective of like the upward trajectory and my relationships that feel stronger than they used to, the mutual love and encouragement that I'm getting from somebody, the prayerfulness that I have, those thoughtful next steps that I'm able to take, just this kind of positive buzz that I have when I'm doing the Lord's work, when I can look back and see things weren't as good yesterday as they are today, and we're on, a, we're on an upward climb right now. That's kind of what fruitfulness feels like in the moment from a good perspective. But not only do we have the good, we've got the bad. So there are some bad things, I think, that come along when fruitfulness is really happening and taking effect in my life. These bad things of like the devil constantly barraging me with his attacks. Like when things are going well, when I'm on the upward climb, when I'm walking the narrow road, whatever you want to call it, like that's when the devil is going to be on the prowl for me. And mm. when I think about that, it is those times where I'm starting to do well and making progress that I can probably expect that something is going to take a turn. Like maybe I won't be feeling that great or maybe somebody close to me has something to say that's unkind or work gets crazy or friendships are strained, whatever it is. This kind of pruning, maybe these trials, these temptations, these difficulties that I go through that maybe I look at as being bad, but ultimately at the end of the day are actually still a good thing because I can be pruned to be more fruitful as a result of those things through patience and faith in the Lord. So there's the good, there's the bad, and then there's the ugly. So you think about like when I'm in a fruitful season, when things are going well, I can, like we talked about on the last episode, I can let zeal and let my fire for the Lord kind of dwindle out. And that's never a good situation. Like if I'm not progressing, if I'm not being more fruitful, then I can really start to see myself kind of letting go and taking the foot off the gas, fading out. And so I guess thinking about fruitfulness, there's a lot there. Hopefully I'm seeing the good blessings and the benefits that are coming as a result of fruitfulness in my life, but also the struggles and then sometimes the mistakes that I make when I take my focus off of the job at hand. What I see as you describe that in my mind, and I often think about this and thinking about a spiritual life and spiritual walk with the Lord, 
is like a waveform. Oh yeah. <laughs> and managing the waveform, right? You know, of like the highs and the lows. And do I want to have a more flattened, smaller waveform? Is it more about just elevating the whole wave up higher, you know, so that the the new normal is up here? Because there's no way that I've found to utterly eliminate change. And like you say, those attacks that come and a season where your energy is just gone. And now you have to find some new way of rekindling your passion or maybe clarifying your direction because you kind of lost your way in something that you had to attend to for a while that Mm -hmm. just was a season of your life. And, you know, there's there's all these things that uh, how do we navigate change and continue to maintain a level of fruitfulness and keep as as you were kind of alluding to that song, pressing on towards higher ground, keep going on the upper climb towards greater maturity and greater productivity but but <laughs> but I think productivity is is better recast as fruitfulness in the Lord For sure. where we see that it's not about the number of widgets but it's about how we are producing something meaningful and and the quality of what we're we're producing in the Lord and along with really I guess thinking about that waveform of the consistency that we're trying to create that really is what we're going to be talking about starting next week right oh yeah endurance Yeah. So we're going to start our discussion of endurance with a look at the faithful witnesses that inspire it and set an example for us. You think of the great hall of faith in Hebrews 11. You think of of Jesus and the example that he's set. And knowing about those examples, those great stories start to transform us and teach us the way to hold on and stick with what we need to stick with even when it's hard. I like it. I'm excited about riding the wave with you on the next episode. So (laughs) thanks so much, everyone, for tuning into the Bible Geeks podcast. You can find us on our website at BibleGeeks.fm. You can find show notes for this episode in your podcast player of choice or at BibleGeeks.fm slash 126. You can also follow along with this cross-training series there on our website as well. If you want to get involved in our Facebook group to talk about some of these through the week challenges, we'd love to have you on board. And until next week, everyone, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. You need a minute? Mm-mm. Okay. Good to go. Cool. <coughs> you okay? <coughs> we were recording while Brian died by waterboarding himself. Yeah, no doubt. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I got dunked in the pool. <laughs> <laughs>